Hello and welcome back to the Sports Credential Podcast. I'm your host and the editor of the Sports Credential, Stephen Boero. Thank you so much for coming back for episode two. I hope you guys enjoyed episode one. I uh, hope you guys had a great weekend full of March Madness basketball. First episode, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it and uh, I'm really excited to continue continue this process with the podcast. Um Let's jump right into where we left off last episode. Gave you some of my picks for the uh, opening round of the NCAA tournament. Some of them were pretty good, right? And uh, some of them were not. I I really thought Oral Roberts was going to be that special mid-major team that could make a run, and they fell flat on their face against Duke. But that's how it goes. Um, I really hope you guys enjoyed the weekend of basketball as much as I did. You know, every year the NCAA tournament is just continues to be one of the best sporting events in the country, arguably the world, especially if you're a basketball fan. It is just unbelievable. Fairleigh Dickinson University in Princeton from my home state, New Jersey, kicking butt, taking down Purdue, taking down Arizona. Princeton finding themselves in the Sweet 16 after taking down Mizzou. I told you guys not to sleep on them. And they picked up that win against Utah State, and I thought, you know, that Princeton was in there, that Mizzou would be able to get a Sweet 16 appearance, but uh, Princeton had other plans. Fantastic uh, weekend so far, and uh, when this episode drops, we'll be right before Sweet 16 starts on Thursday and Friday, so there's going to be some fantastic games. I'll give you my picks for those games uh, later on in the episode. But, you know, first off, I think it's uh, we need to talk about I want to get into a few of my opening topics, uh, one of them being Vanderbilt men's basketball. I mean, Memorial Magic, Memorial Madness, whatever you want to call it, that that team is too special and just too good right now. You really got to tip your hat to Jerry Stackhouse's team. They're playing unbelievable. I I mean, the way they've been able to handle Michigan and now... uh, now they're taking on UAB, who once again, UAB is another one of those teams that just continues to be one of the top mid-major programs in the country. So they're going to they're gonna give uh, Vanderbilt a run for their money, but the way things are going for Vanderbilt, it, it, it's, it's going to be such a tough team to beat. Uh, hosting another, yeah, hosting UAB at Memorial Gym, just uh, continuing to keep that home momentum. And I think the more games Vanderbilt plays at home, you know, they had Yale at home, Michigan at home. Now they're having UAB. I think the crowds are just going to get bigger. I think people are, are going to get excited and they're going to want to go to games. I mean, I see people all over Twitter saying, I'm, I'm, I'm there on Wednesday. I'm there on Wednesday. So that's going to be a fantastic game, but can't ignore how Vanderbilt played against Michigan. And you, you look at that, like we talked about last week's episode, you know, did they really get snubbed or were they really not fit? I think after watching some of those games in the opening weekend, Vanderbilt really deserved a shot. The way uh, Texas A&M just kind of folded to Penn State and Penn State's got a great team, but A&M with all the hype they had this year. You know, they fell through. Um, Iowa fell through to Auburn. Great team, all like 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 always. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversation. I still stand by that Nevada shouldn't should have never been a first four in team. Uh, just ridiculous. And even if you look at the NIT, look at a handful of the uh, teams that were in, in the NIT, like Rutgers, like Clemson, 
they were first four out. They were like two of the first four out teams, according to Bracketology and according to the NCAA tournament committee. What did they do? They choked and they lost those, those uh, their opening around games. And you got Vanderbilt still going strong. They kicked Yale in the butt. No issue at all. Even when Yale fought back, Vanderbilt continued to push him down. And then against Michigan, I mean, one of the best basketball programs in the country. They're, I mean, they're playing Big Ten teams all the time. They're playing all the Big Ten monsters all the time. And, you know, obviously they didn't have the season they wanted this year, but this is still a reputable program. This is still a really good team. And Vanderbilt taking it out 66-65 down to the wire, scoring nine in the final minute. I mean, come on. There's something special about this team. They're obviously talented, but there's a reason why Coach uh, Stackhouse won Co-Coach of the Year. Just the way, he, especially in the second half of the season, this is in 2023, Vanderbilt has seemed to be a, a different basketball team, and it's just been really, really exciting to watch. Now they're just two wins away from playing in the NIT Championship in uh, Las Vegas, and wouldn't that be something for Vanderbilt fans? to really be like hell yeah we're in the nit championship yeah the nit no one really wants to be there you want to be in the ncaa tournament but man being in the nit champ- championship is going to be the next best thing and winning it is you know you're the best of the teams that just missed the ncaa tournament and i think it'll prove to the naysayers the haters whatever you want to call them the people that doubt at vanderbilt you're it's going to say we deserved a shot we were better than you thought we were and you got to start taking this program more a little more seriously after a few crummy years so make sure to catch the Vanderbilt UAB game I know I'll be watching that at 6 p.m on Wednesday which is I believe tonight when this this episode comes out it'll be that night uh at Memorial Gym and it should be another super super exciting game next quick topic i'd like to talk about the titans you know free agency opened up right before we launched the podcast and i didn't want to dive too deep into it last week because i don't want to make any quick conjectures about where the team was going who haven't they signed yet what's going on especially when when the episode dropped i i had no idea what was going to happen and they, they made a couple really really good moves they picked up daniel runskill offensive lineman from the uh, 49ers, you know, a really good move, you know, 6'5", 300 pounds. You know, he's just a, a real unit on that offensive line, uh, which was obviously everyone knew that was going to be the priority this season. Um, he played 14 games for the 49ers last year. Um, he started every game in 2020 and 2021. So we obviously know he's a workhorse and we know he can get the job done. And over the last two seasons, you know, the 49ers have been kind of finding their way back into the Super Bowl contender discussion. You know, they were obviously a Super Bowl contender this season, you know, with the quarterback issues they had. But even with those quarterback issues, they continued. They were a top team in the NFC. A fantastic move by the Titans to bulk up that offensive line. I think he's going to be a real, real, real important player. They also picked up, also on the offensive line, Andre Dillard, once again, another guy that might be playing left tackle, maybe right tackle. He spent most of his time, I believe, at left tackle. But, um, you know, with the Eagles, Super Bowl uh, runners up. He played 43 games over the last, I believe, four seasons. 
So once again, another guy that's, you know, has proven himself. You know, he, he had a couple injuries, uh, most of 2020, but, you know, you can't really work around that. It's going to be hard to find perfect guys, but all they need is guys who are young enough, big enough, strong enough, and have proven themselves on the NFL scale that they can play uh, and help the Titans build an offense, build around Derrick Henry, work for Derrick Henry. Because at the end of the day, I mean, if you don't have an offensive line, you have nothing. And I think we saw that this year with how bad the offensive line was this past season for the Titans. If they even had a proper left guard and a proper right, a proper left tackle, I should say, and a proper right guard, maybe they would have been able to have a couple more big plays that were just missed that would have pushed them over a win or two. I don't know. It, there, there are so many issues with the Titans this year. I'm not going to get into that right now. But, you know, some really, really solid moves. Uh, then they picked up uh, Luke Gifford, uh, linebacker special teams, did mostly special teams over at the Cowboys. But I would assume after the departure of D- uh, Bud Dupree, I would assume that Luke Gifford will be playing a bigger role in defense as well as, you know, special teams where he did a lot of his work. And then also picked up a guy from our rivals, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Arden Key, also another defensive lineman. So, you know, nothing crazy, no ridiculous moves for the Titans so far uh, the first week of free agency. A couple really solid moves. You know, there's not a whole lot of money to go around. They made some big cuts, obviously, Bud Dupree, Taylor Lewan, Robert Woods to kind of free up some cap, but I don't think I would say this is a bad free agency. I think after a week and the Titans announced all the signings, I think it says pretty well where the Titans are going. They're going to try to slowly rebuild this team the best they can with some solid free agency uh, pickups, maybe a trade here and there. I I have no idea what uh, Ring Carthon and uh, Mike Vrabel have up their sleeve. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, Obviously, there was a little bit of news last week about reports regarding Derrick Henry and how the Titans were actually shopping him a little bit. Obviously, they're going to keep him after the report said they don't have any plans of trading him. But there were discussions that they were talking to teams and listening to what they may or may not give up to take on Derrick Henry. I think people, some people freaked out about that. Uh, with Derrick Henry being one of the best running backs in the country, I don't think you should really be freaking out. Titans had a really bad season. They have a new GM. They have a cap space issue. They have a huge, so many holes off offensive line, wide receiver, a couple holes on defense. And the question still in the air of a Ryan Tannehill is the guy to push the Titans to a championship. Some people will say no. Some people say let's give him a couple more shots, give him one more shot. So there's there's a lot to kind of consider. So he's not going anywhere for now. I, I don't think Derrick Henry is going to go anywhere. Uh, I think if the Titans want to go full rebuild, they would have done it by now. But, you know, halfway through next season, if the fit starts with the Shan, as they say, um, I think they might consider going full rebuild and trading off and building up, uh, building up their draft stocks uh but um that's all speculation we can't do anything until we actually see what the product is on the field what Rand carthon and mike rabel and his uh staff with a whole lot of new coaches put together so but that's it for titans talk hopefully next week we can dive into a little bit more into where what the titans are going to look like next season and what they 
need to look like to be a competitor and what they're probably going to look like. And there's a lot to talk about. I mean, everyone's always talking about the Titans and with a new GM, you never know. But Mike Rabel might pull a rabbit out of his hat. He's done it before. We'll see. Now, with that over, let's move on to our main topic of this episode. Really excited uh, to talk about Nashville SC. Uh, I'm a big soccer fan, and I've been following Nashville SC way before I started covering them. So they have always have a special place in my heart when it comes to taking a deep dive into it. And it's really great to see how soccer and Nashville SC has grown into such a great community, both on the fan side, but also uh, as well as the media side. Super excited to get the chance to dive into them uh, starting this season. So four games in. It looked pretty good, don't they? Conceded their first goal this past weekend at uh, New England Revolution. So Joe Willis, even though he gave up that one goal, he was on fire. I have to say, so far this season, Joe Willis looks pretty freaking fantastic. Um, the one goal he gave up was just an absolute rocket. There was no way he was going to stop that. And New England kept inching in closer, putting on a shot, inching in closer, putting on a shot, inching in closer, putting on a shot. Uh, they were due. They were due. The Nashville SC defense, though they have been pretty good this, this so far this season, and they had a relatively solid performance against New England. You know, they struggled in a couple of those, you know, on the transition from defense to offense to keep the ball in the midfield and push it outwards and try to create some offensive momentum. They had definitely had some difficulties with that. But uh, I would definitely want to say so far this season, uh, Nashville SC's defense has been pretty fantastic, and you, you got to tip your hat to the guys on that back line. Uh, week in, week out, which is obviously Walker Zimmerman and Shaq Moore. Those guys have been fantastic, along with uh, Jack Mayer and uh, John, uh, Dan Lovitz. Uh, just uh, really fantastic work the guy, those guys have been doing. Uh, those guys, they're like workhorses. They play almost 90 minutes every single match. And I think uh, Gary's been doing a pretty good job with these these lineups these last couple weeks with the, uh, you know, keeping four in the backfield almost every single game. Definitely keeping it more defensive-minded. Against the Red Bulls, they went with the uh, 4-4-2. And uh, it, it worked well enough for them to keep a, uh, the ball out of the Nashville net. Then having great offensive moments. You know, Schaffler didn't have that great of a game. Teal and Fafa, you know, they didn't have that great of a game. But once again, the defense is showing up. And if they can get a point, that's fantastic. But now they got their first loss of the season, uh, gave it their first goal of the season. And now we're looking at ahead to this week. And guess what? It's a rivalry, rivalry week for Nashville SC, or as a lot of the fans are calling it on Twitter, Cincy Hate Week. Now, uh, I tweeted out at the beginning of the day before I decided to record and asked some fans, you know, talk to me about this uh, hate because, you know, Nashville's still a new club and, you know, one of their big rivals have been Atlanta because they're the two biggest cities in the southeast area. Atlanta has been a soccer powerhouse. Nashville sees first ever MLS game was at Nissan Stadium against Atlanta, which they... uh pulled out a draw. So, you know, it's always interesting to see why is this team a rival and that team not, especially for how new this club is. And uh, a couple people came out to uh, make a couple of comments, and it was it was, it was was pretty great. Oh, I have my buddy at Denzel underscore of underscore NSH. 
currently, uh, uh, his, uh, his Twitter name is Cincy Hate Week with a couple of spoons, I think referring to Cincinnati's wooden spoons for finishing last in MLS. He says, honestly, had no issues with them until we got that MLS bid over them and uh, they started being disrespectful. So, yeah, Cincinnati uh, fans were not too thrilled about Nashville getting the bid over them. But I think that's where kind of the hate began of like, why is Nashville getting it and we're not getting it? I, I totally get that, but it's hard to ignore what Nashville was offering over Cincinnati. So it, it makes sense. And I remember an article came out and I saw a lot of fans retweeting it by, uh, I can't remember the name of the publication. I'd rather not give them the credit, but they wrote, it was, I think it was a blog uh, about how soccer is going to fail in Nashville. And it's funny. You go through every single point he gives and how it was the exact 180 of what happened. Oh, they're not going to be able to fill up a stadium of 30,000 people. Opening day, Nashville, I think they sold out. I think it was 28,000. It was close to a sellout. And most games will probably be close to a sellout every year. And then transportation, the, obviously there's issues with parking, but there's not the issues that this angry blogger made up about so it was really interesting to see you know how this hate has built over the last few years and obviously with Cincinnati being in the east and Nashville being in the west last season it was really interesting it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out in the future for this season and next season so let's go all the way back to the USL days and I think that's where the beginning of the rivalry got because you had Nashville and you had Cincinnati, and these were two very passionate fan bases, relatively close. I would say out of all the MLB cities, Cincinnati is probably one of the closest to Nashville. So you look at all the, you know, look, go back to the USL days, and Nashville played four games in the USL days going back to 2018. Picked up back-to-back-to-back draws against Cincinnati in the USL days, 0-0, 1-1, 3-3, one one uh, with Cincinnati winning on penalties in the USL playoffs. So right there, you got two teams from big cities in this, uh, at least in the kind of this Midwest Southeast area, both with passionate fans, both with teams fighting in the USL and the USL playoffs, both good enough that they can only get draws, even in the the penalty in, in the uh, USL playoff game, and they're both fighting for a spot in the MLS. And now let's fast forward a little bit. 2020, Nashville's first season, they didn't get to play Cincinnati is because, uh, obviously, because of the big coronavirus. But then their first game, the MLS, in 2021, they pulled out a draw uh, with Nashville scoring the game-tying goal in the 64th minute by who other than one of my favorite players, Randall Leal. So Cincinnati could have gotten that win, but they couldn't. Later that season in 2021, Nashville versus Cincinnati, 3-0. Nashville, CJ Skisabong scored two goals. Randall Leal scored another. Continue to go to 2021. Nashville SC, 6-3. Just unbelievable work by this Nashville team to kind of put down Cincinnati after they were like, having all the hype around them and think they could be better than Nashville. And they really couldn't in this past season in 2022, Nashville uh, was able to get a draw out of Cincinnati. So Cincinnati has still not been able to beat 
Nashville since that USL playoff game back in 2018. And Cincinnati hasn't been that great of a team since they've joined the MLS. But if you look back at last season, they finished in fifth place, 49 points, just one point under Nashville, even though that was in the Western Conference, but still just one point off from what Nashville was. So pretty comparable for them. Then you look at 2021, where they finish at the bottom of the league with 20 points. So Nashville's been able to kind of pick on FC Cincinnati since they joined the league because each of the first three seasons, Nashville's been in uh, MLS. They've made the playoffs. You know, Cincinnati finally made the playoffs last season. So I think that's where the brewing came from. I think Cincinnati had the chip on their shoulder and Nashville SC was good when they first came into the MLS and Cincinnati was not. And I think if you look on Twitter, which is just hilarious to watch from an outside perspective, the going back and forth between Cincinnati and Nashville fans is that Cincinnati just they just do not like Nashville and they do not like Nashville fans. So this game this weekend is going to be a really, really fun one. And it's going to be at none other than Geodis Park. So and because Cincinnati is only a few hours north of here, I. Get ready, uh, Nashville SC fans. It's going to be a packed house for both you guys, and I would not be shocked if there's going to be a ton of Cincinnati fans. That's why Nashville SC fans got to show up big on Saturday, and they will. They will. They show up big for almost every game, especially the backline supporters group. They do a fantastic job with their chants and keeping the uh, and the drum line and keeping the fans engaged and trying to keep some momentum so it's going to be a very, very, very fun weekend. And it's going to be a big game. It's announced early on in the season, but can Nashville bounce back after a not-so-great performance against New England? Obviously, the defense looks pretty good. We know, obviously, know Joe, Joe Willis is playing fantastic right now. Uh, Schaffelberg's had a couple good games. Uh, he played well against NYCFC. He played fantastic against um, Montreal, scoring a goal. And uh, Hani, two assists so far this season. But it's going to be really interesting to see if how Nashville can really, you know, work this offense. Because Teal Bunbury had some really great moments last year. But, you know, with his fifth game, I'd like to start seeing a little bit more from him. You know, that first game of the season, he had some really great footwork. He had some really great looks. But I'd like to see some some real scoring opportunities from him and Hani. And obviously Jacob, who's, you know, an absolute machine once he gets going. You know, Jacob had a great first game, great game against Montreal, and then two eh games against uh, New York Red Bull and the Revolution. Obviously, those be both being away games. So with this being a home game, I'd like to see a trend to start to occur with home games that Jacob Schaffelberg just can have a great game because once he's given an opportunity and there's a great transition on offense, he, he's going to run with it. He's so fast and he can build some momentum super, super early like we saw against NYCFC. So that's really going to be exciting to see how the team can kind of try to bounce back from last week's loss. And uh, I'd like to see a lot more from Fafa. You know, we we had some good moments uh, at certain times over the last couple of games, obviously a, a decent game against NYCFC. But I'd like to see some real offensive prowess from him because uh, we still don't have that go-to striker, uh, that, you know, pure striker. Obviously, Nashville, that's been the conversation 
for Nashville for the last, I'd probably say, two two years. Because obviously, Hani Mukhtar is unbelievable, but he's also someone who's, who's making the plays. He needs someone to, he can set up to. You know, Randall Leal had his issues last year. Obviously, he's kind of suffering a little bit with a lower body injury. Teal Bunbury's had his moments. Uh, CJ Sapong didn't have that great of a season last year. And he's starting the season on uh, off the be- on the bench, I should say, most so, so far this season. So it's really going to be interesting to see. And I, I really hope that we can see some creativity from the offensive side of the ball with Fafa and Teal and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be an exciting game. And hopefully, hopefully when this podcast drops, we will have the news that uh, Anibal Godoy and Randall Leal are back. Because I think you could obviously see uh, against New York Red Bulls, against Montreal, definitely, and even uh, this past weekend uh, against New, uh, the New England Revolution. Without Godoy and without Leal, there are some massive holes there. I mean, this team can be a completely different side with Randall there. And you look at Randall, and he didn't score many goals last year. I think he scored two, including one being a penalty kick. It's just he makes a game completely different. He's always making moves. He's so fast off the ball. He's so fast on the ball. And he's able to really create opportunities both inside the box and outside the box, either Hani setting him up or him setting up Hani. So it, it's um he, he he's really with even though he didn't score many goals and we obviously we have to use goals to you know decide who's good and who's not and you know who's a real offensive powerhouse and who's not I mean that's why Hani won the MVP with the amount of goals he scored winning the Golden Boot but after last season seeing that even though he didn't score many goals and you look at this season and those first well the, the last three games he's not playing. You can see the gap that is left without his presence. So really interesting. And obviously, I, I have always been an Anibal Godoy stan, for lack of a better term. Uh, he's just unbelievable the way he works. Once again, I always use the word workhorse for certain guys because those are the guys that really kind of like glue the team together. And Anibal Godoy is one of those workhorses. He's one of those, you know, glue guys. And I think you saw some of those gaps last year when he was hurt. And if you watch that first game of the, of the season against NYCFC, if you can go back on Apple TV, you see how hard Anibal worked. You see the transition he would do from he would make from midfield to offense, setting up momentum for Randall setting up stuff for Fafa and for Jacob Schaffelberg. And he's just, he's got the experience. He's got the strength. He's big. He's physical. Uh, he can draw fouls. He's not going to get called on too many fouls. If you look at some of his numbers, he's making tackles, he's making moves and he's not a foul machine. You don't have to worry about him making a dirty play close in a game. You know, he's going to work his butt off. And it was a shame to see him take that shoulder injury. And he's been out for these last couple, these last three weeks. But hopefully we'll get some good news from Gary Smith about him making a return. Even if he could play half the game or he can come in for the final 30 minutes, that would mean that would that would be a big difference for them, especially at a home game late night Saturday. Seven, I believe it's a 730 kickoff against a uh, really, really tough rival in Cincinnati. You know, Cincinnati had a fantastic year last year, and they're going to want to continue that success into this season, especially coming into Nashville at their new stadium with that rivalry brewing. 
probably with a ton of away fans traveling, they're going to want to put on a fantastic performance. So if Nashville can be 100% healthy or even 90% healthy with Godoy or Leal, or if they can get both of them ready, but I don't think that's very likely at this point, but we'll have to wait and see. They can get either of those guys out there and create something because we know the defense can be there. But you know you can't win games without scoring goals. I mean that's just the basics of this sport and pretty much every other sport. So with Randall and Anibal out there, it's just going to be a huge difference maker. If Anibal plays, I definitely can see Nashville winning by at least two goals. If Randall's out there, I said the same thing. Without them, uh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. The defense is going to have to work really hard. I think that we're going to have to see a lot from Sean Davis in the midfield. We're gonna have to see a lot of work from ha- we're gonna have to see a lot of work from Hani, but you know he is the reigning MVP. We go we got two assists. He's just an absolute machine. He looks good. He feels good. So obviously with him on the field, there's always going to be opportunity for multiple goals to be multiple goals to be scored for Nashville. So we'll have to see. It's going to be an exciting game. Uh, I will be there covering it. So be sure to follow the Sports Credential on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. You can give me a follow as well, SJ Buero Sports on Twitter, and I will have you guys completely updated. We will have you completely up to date and uh, on all Nashville SC all throughout the season, but especially for this game. We're going to have videos of fans. We'll have videos of the post-game interviews with Coach and hopefully a select few players. If they pull out the win, it'll probably be a fun press conference to get a couple quotes from. So be sure to follow us because we'll be there. Next quick little thing I want to talk about with Nashville SC is Geodis Park and the whole identity of the team. It's so important that a team has a permanent home, and Nashville has that. But on top of that, if they can't win there or they're not absolutely devastating there, it doesn't create the the significance that a Lambeau Field brings or a Madison Square Garden for the Rangers and the Knicks kind of brings. Uh, and in Nashville, we have two fantastic examples. Um, I know this this one might be a little bit too recent, but that Memorial Magic but they have, Vanderbilt has a history of winning big games at Memorial Gym. I mean, they beat ranked Tennessee this season in Memorial Gym. They beat, they beat ranked Tennessee a couple uh, seasons ago in Memorial Gym. So it's possible, and they're proving it right now in the NIT, how important it is to have that home field advantage and how that gym is super unique. I know some people don't like it. I personally love Memorial Gym. I think it's very unique. It's very interesting. It just feels like an old like college gym, and it has that identity. I mean, that's why they call it Memorial Magic. They didn't just pull that out of the hat and say, that's what we're going to call it one day. It's because they were able to build something off of that, and that's why they, Vanderbilt basketball over the last couple decades have been able to pick up some huge wins and build a real identity around them. And right down the street, you look at uh, the Preds. You know, Bridgestone Arena continues to be voted one of the best arenas in the world and in the country by Polestar. I mean, what they do there is fantastic. Not only does it sound great, but they can fit in close to 20,000 fans for Nashville SC, uh, for, excuse me, for Nashville Predators game. And it's almost always going to sell out, no matter how high the ticket prices are, because fans are dedicated to making that one of the most difficult places to play in the NHL. And it's proven that, you know, we've had uh, great teams come into Nashville, take on the Predators. And when the Preds, you know, 
put on a hell of a fight. And those fans are brutal, especially when Nashville scores. Those you suck chants are, if you're an opposing fan, and I've been an opposing fan at a Nashville Predators game, when they start screaming the you suck chants, man, does it sting. And you cannot tell me it does not sting the opposing fans and the opposing goalie, especially a team that doesn't play there regularly. Maybe plays there once a year. Maybe they have a new goalie that hasn't played there before, and they get a goal scored on them. That can shake them up, and that's the impact Bridgestone Arena has for the Predators. There's a reason why Bridgestone hosted the uh, the NHL All-Star Game. There's a reason why Bridgestone continues to be a place for where concerts want to be held, where sporting events want to be held, the SEC tournaments at Bridgestone, is because it's created that identity around them. And you always see a lot of people will go to Bridgestone before they go to Nissan. There is a magic around it. There is, it's it's a scary place to play. Geodas Park, gorgeous. Love it. Empanadas, fantastic. Uh, it's a beautiful stadium. It's comfortable. There's a whole lot of room to move around. There's You really can't find a bad seat in the house. Do a lap around it. It's not like you're walking forever and ever. You go up the stairs to the next section up. It's not a hike up. So it's really a fantastic Stadium. Uh, I do have to say it's probably one of my favorite stadiums I've been to. Um, but doesn't matter how cool the stadium is. If the product in the field is not very good, uh, it's a great stadium. That's great. But, you know, when Nashville SC first, the club, I should say the team, the actual players, first got a look at Geodis Park before us fans did. What did Anibal Godoy call it? El Castillo, the castle. And that was kind of the beginnings of, ooh, stadium on a hill, it'd be a fortress, it'd be a castle. And I think at certain moments, Nashville SC saw those glimpses of, this is a castle, this is a fortress, this is, it's going to be hard to come play in here, especially for how good Nashville SC's record was at home at Nissan Stadium their first two seasons. They were unbeaten. It was unprecedented. So now them having their own home and be like, wow, they're going to be unstoppable. Well, so far last season, we saw they weren't winning as many games as they maybe they should have been. Getting a lot of draws, getting a lot of draws. We saw that last season, which kept Nashville on the brink of being in the playoffs or being out of the playoffs, being in the playoffs, being out of the playoffs, getting those one points constantly. You know, they were winning games on the road in Colorado. Hani Mukhtar had that amazing game. But when it came to hosting Kansas City at home, they gave up that draw. They could have had the win, but they got the draw. And you saw a lot of frustration growing from the fans. Like, what the heck's going on? What is this? What, what's not working? What's, well, I thought this was El Castillo. I thought this was the fortress. And I think it has to, to do more about what the teams coming in were thinking, what their game plan was, more than the stadium. The stadium is fantastic. The players love playing here. Even the opposing fans, opposing teams love playing here. You always hear comments by a player saying wow this place is fantastic i was super excited to come here for the first time i think uh nash uh nycfc their players came out for warm-ups in the home opener and they were all taking pictures on the field taking videos of the field because it's beautiful it's beautiful and it's a really fantastic soccer specific stadium but why couldn't they win games there last year and i think it's really simple i think with nashville sc being the hot new kid on the block them having that unprecedented home record of winning games and picking up 
points, not being able to lose, and them having this brand new spanking stadium that was gorgeous, that sounded fantastic, and that was the largest soccer-specific stadium in USA in the USA and Canada. I think a lot of teams had a chip on their shoulder saying, we're not going to lose here. We're not going to play for the draw. We're going to play for the win. And with that, they were able to get the draw. And a lot of times, they were able to get the win. Even Nashville LC's final game of the season. Played all right. They weren't able to pick up that win. I mean, so you think about there were a handful of games that you'd think that with the momentum of the fans and the, you know, the night game and a last game of the season, their first Wednesday game of the season, they'd be able to pick up that win at home. But I think teams came in playing harder than they had in the past. And now, obviously, with a season gone and a full season ahead of us with, Nat- with Geodis Park and Nashville being the team they are and Gary Smith being the coach he is and his great staff, they obviously know what teams are going to think of when they come in. They're going to be prepared. So I would say that fans should expect to see, I would say, a fair amount of winning at Geodos Park. You know, obviously, depending on how the team plays. But I don't think it's going to be what we saw last season. Um, obviously, anything can happen. We're only four games in. I'm speculating. But that's what it feels like. And I think as long as the fan, the supporter section, stay hot and stay loud and keep those drums going, Nashville SC is not going to have an issue. But I think this is the season that Nashville SC needs to start to create this image and create this identity of El Castillo, the fortress, Giotis Park. I think that's going to be really, really important to create that this season and make it, you know, a scary place to play. And the first two home games, Nashville's won 2-0 with those fans going absolutely nuts with two fantastic goals right in front of the supporters section. It's been really exciting to watch. And uh, I think winning against Cincinnati with a hopefully a packed house on a Saturday night in late March can be a real stamp of saying, uh-oh, here comes Nashville SC. Uh-oh, here comes another season where they're going to be extremely dominant. And uh-oh, I don't want to play at Geodis Park. So that it's going to be all really exciting to see. Um, so, yeah. Hopefully you guys will be tuning in or attending the game on Saturday, because if you were going to plan to go to any game this season, especially for this first half of the season, this has got to be one of your games. Uh, Even in our uh, sports credential essentials, which we drop every first of the month, we pick the best games to look out for in the month. This was one of my top games to pick for March because it's a rivalry game. It's early. It's at home. And it can set a real precedent for the rest of the season to pick up a game, a win, against a rival at home this early on, they would be probably close to first place if they were able to win this game. That could set up the entire season. A loss obviously wouldn't kill them, but now you're digging yourself into two losses in a row, and that's a hole that's going to be harder to get out of. It's easy to bounce back from a loss. It's harder to bounce back from two losses. They can get a point. It's good. Yeah, get a point. Get a point. Get the draw. Get a point. But it's going to mean a lot more to get those three points, both on the rivalry aspect, but also in the standings. Now that Cincinnati is also that we're back in the East, 
with Cincinnati. So it's going to be really exciting. I'm really excited to watch the game and cover the game. I hope you guys are going to enjoy that game as well. And before we wrap up this episode, I promised you guys I'd give you my fantastic picks for this upcoming Sweet 16 in March Madness. So let's take a moment before we wrap up and look at a handful. Well, we'll look at all the games. And I'll give you some of my picks because why not? First game starting on Thursday, Michigan State, Kansas State. Now, I think this is going to be probably one of the best games of this Thursday, Friday uh, slate. I think Michigan State has been entirely underrated and they've been playing fantastic. You can never keep Coach Izzo out. You can never keep him out. Um, And Kansas State has got a real shot, I think, at the Final Four. So it's going to be a really exciting one. My vote goes to Michigan State. I still think that the Spartans can pull off the win. Let's take a look to the next game on Thursday. Arkansas-UConn, another fantastic matchup. Arkansas knocking off number one of Kansas, the reigning champions. SEC power, right? So uh, really, really, really well-coached team by Coach Eric Muselman. Uh, just they're a completely different team since he's become their head coach. So it's a really tough one. And UConn's had a fantastic year, you know, a big East teams, you know, me being a Northeastern guy, I, I always love pulling for the big East teams because they're scrappy. They're small. They always have a pretty solid fan base around them and they're exciting. They play some really, really fun basketball. But after Arkansas's performance last week, I think I might have to go with the SEC I'm thinking I'm going to have to go with Arkansas. So Arkansas over UConn. Then we go to FAU versus Tennessee. Now, like I said last week, I had Tennessee going out early. I don't think I was as bad as Jared Stillman saying they were guaranteed they were going to lose to Duke. But, I, I mean, I had them losing to Oral Roberts, so I'm probably not much better. But uh, Tennessee has completely proven me wrong. They were able to take down Duke and embarrass them. Uh, and that defense really showed up. And I think Rick Barnes has proved all the naysayers and all the haters wrong. I think Tennessee's got a real shot at being an elite eight team. So I'm going to have to go Tennessee over FAU. So there you go, Vol fans. And then the last game on Thursday, Gonzaga versus UCLA. And Gonzaga, you know, every year, year in, year out, people are picking them to win. They fall short. But um, they look really good this year and it might be uh timmy's last year or it's definitely gonna be his last year with gonzaga but um there's been such an exciting team and them going up against a top tier program and a top tier team like ucla is only gonna mean drama to end thursday night and that's 8 45 central time uh tough one for the kids in the eastern time zone so but i don't know i have ucla winning it all so this is a really really tough one but to stay true to my brackets, I'm going to go UCLA. I just think they have the edge this season. I think they've proven it so far this tournament, how dominant they've been able to be. So I'm going to have to go with UCLA over Gonzaga. Don't hate me. Then we move over to Friday, Alabama versus San Diego State. San Diego State having a fantastic tournament so far. I'm going to have to go with Alabama. I still think Alabama is going to be a Final Four team. They're just too good. They're too dominant. They showed that all season. They showed that in the SEC tournament, and they showed that in the first two games. Uh, Maryland was a fantastic team, well-coached team, great performance against West Virginia, but Alabama had no, uh, beat them with relative ease. So that first game on Friday, I'm going to go Alabama. 
Second game, Houston, Miami. Miami is such a good team this year. I think they've really kind of proven me wrong. Uh, they're the last ACC team in the tournament, which is really weird to think about because usually every year you're saying Virginia Tech's in there, Duke's in there, North Carolina's in there. But right now it's only Miami. But uh, I still have Houston being a Final Four team. I think they can be a championship contender. So uh, I'm gonna go my I'm gonna go Houston over Miami, and then we look at this last game: Princeton versus Creighton. Creighton just unbelievable right now. Another Big East powerhouse, baby. But Princeton, back in home state of New Jersey, shocking everybody, knocking out Arizona, now knocking out Mizzou. Uh, if there's a team that can knock out Crichton, uh, it's Princeton. I'm going to go weird. I'm going to go Princeton, Elite Eight. I'm going to say they're going to knock out Crichton this year. So that's eight. That's going to be 8 p.m. Central time on f- this upcoming Friday. So that's going to be an interesting game. Uh, I might be regretting that pick, but why not? Let's go Princeton. And then the final game of the Sweet 16 is going to be none other than Big East Xavier. Former Belmont Bruin, Adam Kunkel on there, kicking butt. They're a fantastic team. And they're going to be taking on Texas, Longhorns. And once again, this is another really tough matchup, a two versus a three. Two really good teams. It's really hard to say. Both teams have had fantastic performances so far this uh, tournament. They've all been great all season long. That's why they're both a two seed and a three seed. And, you know, final game of the Sweet 16, Late night on Friday night, you know, they're going to have both teams are going to be fighting for their lives. A lot of seniors on both teams. If I had to pick one to have the edge, I'm going to have to go with, I originally had Texas. I had Texas in all my brackets, but after watching these last two games, I'm going to have to go with Xavier. I'm going to say they're going to knock out Texas and reach the Elite Eight. So there you have it. I have Michigan, Arkansas. Tennessee, UCLA, Alabama, Houston, Princeton, and Xavier all winning their games on Thursday and Friday and advancing to the Elite Eight. There you have it, folks. There are my picks. Take them or leave them. Love them or hate them. There's only so much you can do with what I give you. And if I mean, I told you to don't sleep on Mizzou. And I probably not many of you. Decided to go with Mizzou because everyone thought they were going to do a first round ch- uh, choke. But what did they do? They came out and they pulled out the win over Utah State. So let's see. Maybe Princeton's got a little bit more magic in them, a little more Ivy League magic. That's all we have for you guys today. Thank you so much for joining us for the, at, here at the Sports Credential Podcast. Make sure that you guys subscribe to the Sports Credential Podcast. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts, and we are also on YouTube. It's only audio on YouTube, but it's there if you like listening to stuff on YouTube. So please be sure to subscribe to us. Uh, I have a pinned tweet on my Twitter account, at Sports that will link you right to the Sports Credential Podcast on Spotify, Apple TV, or YouTube. So whatever you like to listen to it on, we, we probably have it. So Be sure to follow the Sports Credential Podcast. Be sure to subscribe. If you can leave a comment, fantastic. And please be sure to follow the Sports Credential on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And we'll be covering everything, especially with all this March Madness or all the Memorial Magic and all everything Nashville SC. And uh, don't forget the sound start in a couple weeks, and we will have you covered 
with the sounds as well. Once again, I'm Stephen Boero, the host of the Sports Financial Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I look forward to talking to you guys next week.